0: This episode, we answer audience questions, including how can the car buying experience be improved? Why have car batteries gotten so expensive? And we pick a replacement for a 400,000 mile Toyota Camry, next on Talking Cars. everybody, welcome to another episode. I'm Mike Monticello. I'm Keith Barry.
1: And I'm Jennifer Stockburger.
0: And back by popular demand, it's another All Questions episode. It's the craze that's sweeping the nation. (laughs) All questions all the time. And some from Canada, too. It's an international craze. Sure. (laughs) Seriously, though, we do get a backlog of questions. So every once in a while, we like to take an episode and dedicate it 100% to answering your questions. So we're going to do that today. I uh, just want to remind you, send those questions, comments, 30-second video clips to TalkingCars at iCloud.com. So without further ado, let's get started. And let's start with video questions. Uh, Producer Tolly, why don't you run that first clip for us? And let's see what we have today.
2: Recently, I had to replace a battery in my 2017 Elantra. And the total for that battery is like $230, I think. Or it was like $250, something high like that. Um, Why is it so much more expensive now than it was in the past? Another question I have is when I leave my USB cable plugged up or any of you know my chargers plugged up to my car with it being off, is it still draining my
0: battery or is it turned off? Okay, Jen. So what's going on here? Are batteries getting more expensive? They are,
1: and it's a change in battery type. So what Malik is experienced is, is this change to absorbed glass mat, AGM Mm. types of batteries. So the good thing is the expense doesn't come without some benefit. So what they are is a different type of lead acid battery that is better at repeated draining and charging and better supports all the draw stop start technology electronic safety and convenience features additional power outlets etc but they are in our ratings 40 to 100% more expensive than Ooh, traditional wow. lead wow. acid batteries so so it's a
0: hard hit on the wallet.
1: Newer vehicles are absolutely coming with them. We just updated battery ratings on ConsumerReports.org. And you see the top batteries in nearly all the sizes are in the 200 to $300 range, wow. as Malik experienced. And they are these AGM type, as they are coming on most new vehicles to support all this additional power. Right.
0: And so. Malik was also wondering about um, you know, leaving things plugged in in the car, how much yeah. that drains uh, his battery. And you know, if you leave a USB cord plugged in and you have your phone plugged in, it is going to drain the battery for a little while. But only, but modern cars only for a little while, and then eventually it'll shut off. And so you know, whether you have a phone plugged into that USB cord or not, or even just a USB cord on its own, it's not going to eventually. It's not going to draw the battery at all. So that's not if that's what's going on. That's that's not the problem.
1: And even if it does, these AGM better support that discharge and give you longer life. So hopefully, Malik, you see some life out of your expense. Right.
2: So now, You can't also, though, right? you can't swap out. If your car comes in an AGM, you can't put in uh, lead acid or another type of battery. Right. right? So I was equating yeah. it
1: to what we say about tires. Get the type your car came with. Right. I think the same applies to yeah. batteries. Can't Because save if a couple it of needed bucks. that yeah. electrical support, it still needs that electrical support. Yeah. I don't want to go backwards Mm. to a
0: traditional lead acid. All right, Uh, let's go to another video question. This one is from James. Let's take a look.
2: My wife and I saw a commercial on TV the other day that said that 98% of Subarus uh, were still on the road after 10 years. And I thought that was impressive. But then the more we thought about it, we wondered how many other car companies
0: could say that. Anyway, what is the average lifespan of a car? Thanks so much. Bye. Okay so what we think James is talking about here is an ad where Subaru says 96% of Subaru legacy vehicles sold in the last 10 years are still on the road today and that's that number is based on US vehicles in operation versus total new registrations. Right. Hmm. Um, and that seems like a a really good number and it is a good number. And you know what that the takeaway really is is that Subaru's Generally hold their value well, so so then because they hold their value, it's there's more incentive for an owner to spend some money to keep the car going, yeah. right? And that's that's part of the reason why you're seeing these big numbers, and also um, generally this means that ten-year-old Subarus haven't had a catastrophic engine right. or right. transmission failure. So again, because when you have that huge expense, that's when you're going to get rid of the car and, and, and uh, you know, maybe go to the junkyard at that point. So that's, uh, that's a good thing for Subaru. It means that they're holding up well. That's a big part of why that number is so huge. The other thing is that, keep in mind, the average age of, the car, of a right. car on US roads right now is 11.8 years. Mm. So most cars out there are almost 12 years old. Right. So. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of older cars on the road. It's and not, a, not just other Supras. companies
2: used to use. I remember years ago, Toyota would say, you know, 90% of Corolla sold since it was like sometime in the 90s are still on the road, and that was when they were really trying to push reliability there. Right. But I wish that they would. Uh, I wish they would have these for for cars that are a little more obscure, so you can find out, you know, 0.001% of Ford Pintos are still on the road.
1: <laughs> it's a great indicator yeah. of reliability. Yeah. It really mm. is. Yeah. Resale value. Can you find them used? Mm-hmm. And like you say, how many? Are still out there. It's right great right indicator. Right. Yep.
0: Oh, okay, let's uh, go to another video question. Hi Consumer
2: Reports. I wanted to share some highlights in the lifetime of my 1997 Toyota Camry and ask a question. I'm ready to purchase again. My idea is to get a hybrid. I want a compact or mid sized SUV that is all-wheel drive and has enough cargo space to transport two bicycles in it at times. I'm getting around 24 miles per gallon on the Camry now. Can any hybrid match the comfort and power that I've become accustomed to in the Camry? Thanks for all of your help and advice through many years.
0: Okay, so Larry has a 400,000 mile Camry. Uh, Kudos. Kudos to Larry. And the car, for, right. for him taking care of it, and for the car taking care of him. But of course, now he wants to replace it. So Keith, uh, do you have some ideas for him?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, have, have any of you had a car with that many? I, the most yeah. I got was, I got close to four. I got like 365 on a Volvo 940. Wow. And it just, it was kind of a car that got you know passed around. Right? Well, and my, then the odometer broke, so. My,
0: my Tacoma has about 200,000, but okay. that's.
1: And I think I shared, my nephew has a forerunner at over three. Yeah. Now, I've shared that before, I
2: think. Not I've bad. bad. Yeah. Well, is I the th- 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 there?
1: Yeah. Toyota yeah. Toyota. Uh, well,
2: Aside from, <laughs> well, it was an older car. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like the idea of the hybrid Rav4, not just because you're getting good fuel economy. Um, 37 miles per gallon overall is what right. we, we what we've got, but it's it's better it's better in every way than the car that you currently have. Uh, other than the fact that you'll have to pay for it. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> right. um, you know, no repairs that might crop up, and also. I like the hybrid Rav4 because it's a better car than the regular Rav4, which is kind of loud yeah. and I, uh, you know, also because there is there are less wear and tear uh, on parts of hybrid vehicles. Um, I mean, I've had hybrids that have got to 200,000 miles, and you know, your brakes you'll have to have them probably changed less often because those regenerative brakes they don't, right. you know, they dissipate the heat better. They turn it into energy as opposed to um, you know having that that go back to the brakes so right. they don't wear out as quickly so yeah. I, I like it it's not a science project that's going that's going to fail quickly you know these these have i mean look at some of the hybrid taxis on the road they have hundreds right. and hundreds of thousands of yeah. miles away. and yeah. you
0: know it's not going to the RAV4 hybrid is not going to have the power and the feel of his Camry V6 for sure mm. he could wait for you know the the Highlander hybrid is going to is going to be resi- redesigned um it'll be on sale next spring uh, 2020 You could Mm. wait for that, Um, and possibly we've heard that you know Honda's been. There's been a rumor that the CRV hybrid is going to come. It's it's sold in other markets. It's rumored that it's going to come. We're possibly going to see at the LA Auto Show uh, this coming November, but we can't guarantee that. So, um, but would you say Rav4 hybrid as well? Probably. So
1: oddly, I had the Rav4 hybrid. Oh, Um, shocker! Winner, but you know, to you say, you know, I did some homework back when we tested the 1997 Camry V6 that Larry has. 8.67 8.67 seconds 0 to 60 25 miles per gallon. So he's getting See, 24. That's not bad. In, no. No. Yeah. But RAV4 Hybrid 7.81. It's, 7. quicker. 8, 1. it's, it's quicker, quicker than your V6. So and 37 miles per gallon. The and I had exactly the same. RAV4 Hybrid if Larry can't fit the bikes if Probably. it's not quite big enough Highlander
0: Hybrid. Yeah, you can all you can wait for the page. Highlander yep. Hybrid, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, so let's go to the next video question. Uh, Jeff in Ohio. Let's take a look. Consumer Reports. This is Jeff from Shaker Heights, Ohio. When I look at your ratings for snow tires, they do much worse with braking distances and grip when the roads are just wet or even dry.
2: Much worse than all-season tires. Most of the time, the streets have been plowed and they're clear.
0: Very seldom am I actually driving through snow. Shouldn't I just keep my all-seasons on my Prius and just drive
2: more slowly if there actually is snow on the ground because the all season tires do
0: so much better than snow tires when the surface is just wet or even dry even in the snow belt. Thank you very much. All right, so we're going to throw this once you Gen tire tester extraordinaire. <laughs> uh, Jeff is wondering about the downsides of uh, you know snow tires on dry pavement versus all season tires in on snowy conditions.
1: Right. So so this is the classic Jeff is in the classic all season versus winter tire mm. dilemma, because um, we have the same exact conditions here in Connecticut. Yes, we end up driving in some snow, but most of the time the roads are clear. What isn't maybe clear is that our tire ratings are on a universal scale, meaning that dry and wet braking he's looking specifically at, for ultra high performance summer tires are on the same scale as the winter tires. So yes, when you look at the winter tire dry and wet braking ratings, they're pretty low. That's compared to the ultimate grip dry and wet of the UHP tires, ultra high performance tires. So yes, you are going to compromise dry and wet grip Versus your all season, but it's not to a dangerous level. It's certainly something you need to be aware of. You know, you're not going to get the braking distance you did with your all season. But in my mind, if you have to drive in snow anytime, the benefits outweigh that that compromise. The, the, and the risk benefits of that short of season. the braking
0: traction, right. et cetera, of the winter tire versus right. the all season, right
1: in snow. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, Jeff's still using the word. Winter, or snow tire, we've actually opted to go with winter tire because there are um, advantages in the rubber compounds. They stay grippier at cold temperatures. Right. So mm. that's the other benefit, not just the biting edges for getting so if there in isn't, snow.
0: Even if there isn't snow on the road. Correct. So
1: there are some benefits they, even outside
0: of. They work better in those really cold temps. Correct. Oh, okay. Correct. So or-
1: so yes, if you're someone who has to drive the benefits outweigh the compromise in driving white
0: braking. Right. Yep. And that, it's difficult because you you actually anytime you drive in the winter, you don't know when you're gonna get caught in a snowstorm. You know, mm. so I mean even if you plan on if it's snowing today I won't go out, well what about if you were out and you didn't know it was going to snow right. or and snow how to that often level. Does that right. happen to right. us definitely a freak freak storm a lot, so. that comes up in the middle yeah. afternoon. So Re- really yeah. good question. Better safe than sorry. Yeah. All <laughs> right, let's move move on to our next question. This one is from Steve. Steve says mm. I've been shopping for my next truck and have noticed how stressed out and unhappy customers look. <laughs> I felt that that way myself trying to negotiate a lease. I remember when Saturn changed the game by making the car buying and ownership experience better. Why don't manufacturers put more effort into doing this as well? Keith, you've bought a lot of cars, so I'm going to throw this to you. But also, when you think about it, think about how easy it is to buy so many items these days. Except the one thing that has kind of remained the same is buying a car. Really hasn't changed that much in terms of the final process of going to the deal and getting the car.
2: Yeah, so a little backstory. Saturn, I'm sure most people remember, but they started off with a sort of no-haggle idea yeah. and it turned out they didn't make as much money. And people also <laughs> expected to haggle because You know, even nowadays, there there are some places that have no haggle pricing. And you do tend to pay a little bit more than the people who haggle at haggle dealers. They're not going to give you the absolute lowest price. I I will say at the most recent car that I bought, uh, you know, anonymously agreed on the price, et cetera, (laughs) figured out. And then when I showed up they said to me, oh, we're so sorry. We made a mistake. It's actually $1,000 more. Yeah. Wow. And they expected me just to, oh, OK, here you go. And I, and I had to let them know. I said, well, OK, well, then I guess I'm not buying this car. And I wasn't, I mean, I was to my car. And the manager ran out after yeah, me. I mean, it was the. Do why do you have to? And the thing yeah. that made me so upset is that a lot of people, I'm sure, probably half of people would just say, "Oh, okay, I, I, I guess here's it, another." It is what dollars. it is. Yeah. I have to do it. Yeah. A thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. That's, yeah. yeah. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of money. So I, I I think part of the the issue is that there's this disconnect between. And we've talked about this before—the disconnect between uh, car makers and dealerships. So you'll notice that these these mm-hmm. dealerships now—they've all gotten renovated. They all have coffee yeah. bars and places where. Uh, but. I just
1: go to them to hang out. No, I
2: really. <laughs> don't. Yeah, no, you really. <laughs> it's the yeah, last place does. I want to I'm wanna, kidding. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, and 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 those are sort of dictated by the automakers. So right. they made these these dealers. Hey, you want to keep your you know whatever franchise? franchise? Yeah you have to build this fancy palace and oh by the way you have to sell this many of this type of cars and then you know you have to pay for building this place <laughs> so these dealerships now have to you know basically are are forced to to pay off these Right. Um, these places. I think something that's very interesting is uh, not to bring it back to French cars, as I tend to, but Peugeot <laughs> uh-huh. is talking about if they ever return to the US market, that they're not going to force people to build these giant palaces. Yeah. And dealers will therefore be able to stock you know, whatever they want, and maybe it'll save them a little money on overhead. Yeah. I don't know how much of that is is actually the problem, or if that's just. They can't convince someone to spend a ton of money on a Peugeot dealership, yeah. but um, it's I, it's it's a, it's it, a it's an ongoing problem. And it, and it
0: seems like it's not going to change uh, that soon.
1: Our perennial advice, be prepared and be ready to walk if you're yeah. not happy. And yeah. let the manager chase and you he out did. to your car. That's what he That's did. What I mean. yeah. yep.
2: And very yep. politely, no, yep. no, I'm not paying that. Yep. <laughs>
0: Goodbye. I okay. wasn't being rude. Yep. Really good question. And if they
1: don't <laughs> chase after you, they'll call you the next day. Yeah. Right. Ho-
0: hopefully, things will get better at the right. dealers, uh, yeah. hopefully soon, sooner than later. Hmm. OK, next question is from JP. JP mm-hmm. says, I have a 2017 Mercedes-Benz GLC with automatic emergency braking and have long wondered if automatic emergency braking stops the vehicle even when I'm actively pressing the gas pedal. If I press the gas with Distronic Plus engaged, which is uh, Mercedes's adaptive yeah. cruise control system, yep. It displays that I'm overriding the system. I realize this is not AEB, but it uses related sensors. Just wondering if the gas pedal overrides AEB too. And so the the way AEB is designed is that you know, and, and we know because we've tested these. If you if you're driving down the road and you're steady state throttle, mm. and I uh, say you're looking over here, and right. the first thing it's going to do is forward collision warning. It's going to warn you, uh, and then if you don't react, it's going to it's going to slam on the brakes and, and try and stop the car before you hit whatever you're hitting. And in our testing, uh, what we found is that if we keep steady state throttle heading toward our, um, target. our target car, a collapsible car, uh, the, car will, uh, the system will bring it to a stop, still with the same throttle amount, Okay, full stop. And then after a few seconds, it will Get then it let the car start going again. And the, throttle, the, pers- the tester never changed that throttle position. Right. So the point is, yes, uh, if you're driving down the road with a regular amount of throttle, it will override that throttle and it will stop the car because and that's, that's what it's designed multiple to do.
2: Brands, right? Yeah. Yes. Now
0: every yes. system works a little differently. The, you know, these are uh, uh, made by suppliers typically, so every supplier does things slightly differently. There's different parameters. You know, some mm-hmm. forward collision warning systems react sooner or you know uh, than others.
1: And I think forward collision warning and AB, they're looking that you're still accelerating, and they're going, hey, 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 this right. car's coming, mm-hmm. but you're still on the throttle. It's part of their there's, logic. There's a whole lot of logic As opposed logic to if you're there. braking, they go, oh, you see it. We're not going to give you any warning or exactly. braking because you seem to be already reacting. Right. I mean, there's a lot of thought. We talk about, you know, is it reading the intent of the driver? If they're already on the brakes, you might not get the warning or the AB.
0: Right. So yeah. the, the point is, if you, if you do have the gas on, it it will override it if yep. it if it feels it needs to because you're about to hit something. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, next question is from Rick. <clears throat> Rick says, if I buy an electric car with 200 plus miles of range, will I have enough power? to get home if I drive 15 miles to the airport and leave the car parked for two weeks. <laughs> How much range will the battery lose? I live in Western New York, where there are cold temps and lots of snow. Uh, so it's an but, SAT question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs>
1: if the train is approaching yeah. <laughs> at, no, just kidding.
0: Um, Does so, that make
1: you nervous? Word
0: oh my gosh, I'm ter- I'm terrible <laughs> at, at uh, any kind of math test. That's why we're writers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why Jen's. <laughs> we, we need at least one smart person here. Right. So, maybe next episode. Hey. Oh, oh. oh. Um, no. Seriously though. So <laughs> this is a test that we haven't actually performed. Right. We haven't got done the two week sitting out decay. It's likely that you know, especially with some of the earlier electric cars, you will end up with uh, no no battery range left, um, but uh, some of the you know newer ones, uh, BMW i3, Tesla, uh, Hyundai Kona, Kia Niro, they have uh, they they either come standard or have available these battery heater systems. Right. So mm. what these systems will do is, uh, if you leave the car parked in cold weather, it will keep the battery. So, so electric car batteries are very sensitive to heat, both uh, cold temps and hot temps. So they have these battery heaters and in some cases coolers to keep the battery within its. It's the range that it likes. Mm-hmm. So these battery heaters will use a little bit of range, a little bit of juice, to keep the battery where it needs to be so it doesn't lose a ton of range. So you will lose a little bit over those two weeks, but you should still have you know, more than enough to get home. Yep. Uh, in some cases, like Tesla has something called, uh, it's called a, a deep sleep mode. And what this does is it actually, uh, if, it, if the car has been off for too long, it will turn the car completely off. And then it uses no battery whatsoever. Uh, The downside there being when you get back in the car after it's in that that deep sleep mode, it's going to take a few minutes. You won't be able to just drive off.
1: It goes into hibernation. Yeah,
0: Yeah. basically. (laughs) Anyway, so the point is is, if you get an electric car and you live in a, a colder climate, if it doesn't come with a battery heater, yeah. and it has one available, you're going to want to get one. We have a battery main.
1: maintainer for our traditional battery. On, like when we keep the Mustang in over the winter, we put a little trickle charger on that, even. So when are we going to see that
0: Ford Mustang? They're
1: working on it. It's almost okay. done. He just yeah. sent a text. Jen has so, a, a yeah, great Ford done. Mustang
0: convertible. What year is it?
1: 67.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll uh, bring it in. I haven't seen it on the road yet. I can't wait. it has
1: not been on the road. That's why it's oh. on the trickle oh. charger. That's why it's in the shop, and it'll be done soon. Yeah.
0: Yes. OK, next question is from Matthew. Matthew says, we appear to be in a trend where automakers are doing away with sedans and wagons in favor of SUVs. What are your predictions for vehicle trends over the next 10 plus years? Will SUVs rule the roost forever? Or could there be a shift back to sedans and wagons? I just fear that buyers who want an economical sedan will have little to no options and be mm. priced out of the SUV market. All right, guys, what do you think? What's us get out your crystal ball. What do you see going on in the future? Who wants to go first? I have, I have feelings about this. I have feelings, okay. too. Ooh, we'll, we'll okay let, We'll
1: let Keith go first.
0: Oh, OK. Uh,
2: you can prove me wrong. No. No. Uh, <laughs> so I see that the car market is getting to a place where it's sort of unsustainable. Cars are getting more and more expensive, and Mm -hmm. part of that is because you know a larger car is more expensive to build, and more more things are being put in it. Some of it is luxury equipment, some of it is is safety equipment, but a lot of it is is you know you can spend a little more and get that panoramic sunroof. And they're not building affordable entry level cars. It's It's not housing market almost. Yeah, if you can't buy a house that's fifteen hundred square feet (laughs) in the neighborhood you want (laughs) to live in, you're going to buy a house that's maybe. I mean, sure, some of it's bad decisions, but some of it is what, what. People are out right. there. Interest rates are going up. It mm-hmm. just feels you know cars are sitting in the lot for longer. It feels like we're reaching a point where, and also you know, environmental regulations, pedestrian safety, you know, regulations. I'm I'm kind of in in some cases for 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 many many buyers. If a sedan will do, if a more fuel efficient car will do, go with go with mm-hmm. that. Um, I think that a tide may turn, and that may be what happens. But the, the issue is that we don't I mean coming back. Coming back, back to sedans I think, and, uh, and uh, wagons. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I, I think so. And and I or at least sort of smaller crossovers, yeah. the more affordable, the Hyundai Venues, the Kia Souls. That sort of right. that sort of car yep. might take over versus the three. What, what do you, do you think, What do you see, Jen? Jen? So
1: my my thought was emotion too. But what is it we're really longing for? Is it nostalgia? Or is it function? Because mm. you look at the compact SUV, and I'm not talking about the big ones. Because I think safety has driven us to bigger cars. If you have four kids, you need four seats with seat belts in, You know, Not like us in the boot of the LTD2. doesn't happen anymore. With a Volvo so wagon that's an aside. facing backwards. But what is it we're really missing? <laughs> I am a huge wagon fan, so I just want to say that to Matthew. Me too. I told you. I bet you I too. loved yeah. the Ford Flex. I drove that LTD2 wagon in college. Totally loved them. However. What is it that functionally SUVs aren't doing for us? I would argue they're better performing. They're bit more fuel efficient. The hatchback is actually easier than the tailgate, if you will. The access is awesome. I would argue that the shape of the current SUVs is a problem, mm-hmm. a limitation versus the squarer wagon. I go back to my love of the Ford Flex. You know, but are we really missing anything with compact SUVs? It's not a sedan. They're lower. We don't have the rollover. or we have the ESC. I'm not sure. It's just not nostalgia, my own included.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, typically, uh, a, a, a true wagon is going to sit a little lower. So it's right. going to be a little better handling. Um, <clears throat> quite often, they're a little, they're a little longer, right? Yeah. Uh, so they don't have the height. Uh, in yeah. the back, the, they don't have the height of the cargo area that a wagon has. But you know, typically a wagon's going to be a little better to drive, and that's that's what I care about. I, I totally right. get what you're saying. As
1: would be a, S, the, a the compact SUV
0: right. makes so much sense for so many people. Yes. It's so easy. To, it has basically the best. You know. Um, uh, Entry, you know, entry points of right. any any vehicle right. that there it's, is. And also, it when it's, a when everyone else is
2: driving a car that's super tall, <clears throat> you want to be in a car that you can yeah. see out of. And I and I get that. I get into yeah. a, a, you know an MX Five, and I'm right. Hello, it's like sitting behind someone at the movies. It's, My
0: guess is yeah. SUVs aren't going away anytime soon. No. They are the biggest thing in the market right now. We Americans love SUVs and they love pickups. And if you look at you know the the market's in flux right now with with hybrids and and electric cars starting you know continuing to build up. And Mm -hmm. and more and more of these electric cars coming out, look at what you have. Hyundai Kona, Kia Niro, Mm -hmm. basically SUV-ish kind of things. Audi e-tron, kind of an SUV, right? Jaguar I-Pace, kind of of an SUV. Mm -hmm. So even the electrics, they're building those SUVs. So these SUVs are going to. We're demanding it. What they're going to be here yeah. for a while. Um, I do
1: think someone's going to I like your build. hope, though.
0: I like your hope that well, wagons I'm not are not necessarily
2: go. back to sedans, yeah. but to the idea of the something which is a little more, I like all, all yeah. the cars you mentioned are sort of normal sized. Right. You know, they're, yeah. they're not. Yeah.
0: Uh, you don't need the giant
2: ones. You don't
1: the need the, unless you have Unless you family.
0: really need gotcha. a giant one. Yeah. yeah gotcha.
1: <laughs> someone's going to build a really cool, wagonish, square, great visibility wagon, and it's going to sell like gangbusters.
0: And maybe it'll be an EV. Maybe, maybe it'll be an electric be vehicle. absolutely. All right, next question is from Patrick. Patrick says, I have a 2018 Subaru Crosstrek with a six-speed manual. Save the manuals. (laughs) People are going to get so tired of me saying that. Uh, I purchased it in New Hampshire and have since moved to Colorado, where I found that it has a hard time keeping up and accelerating when climbing 6,000 feet to the Continental Divide. I'm thinking of replacing it with a Volkswagen Golf Sport Wagon. Wagon. (laughs) Wagon. (laughs) Given that the turbo engine can deal with thin air better, do you have any other suggestions? Um, Real quick. Uh, for those of you that don't know, so you know, uh, non-turbo, naturally aspirated, regular engines, whatever you want to call mm. them, they don't perform as well at high altitudes because the air is thinner. Uh, the engine's getting less air. You know, you know, engines. You know, have you know, it's it's an air fuel and spark mix, and so those engines lose some power, and that's what's happening with yeah. this Crosstrek. So turbo engines perform much better; they lose barely any power at all there at these higher down. altitudes. So first of all, I'd say go for that uh, Golf Sport Wagon. But also, another thing you could think about would be maybe a Mini Cooper Countryman, which also comes with three-cylinder and four-cylinder turbos. Uh, It's kind of like a tall wagon. Also, you can get get both of those cars with a six-speed manual. Um, but you should get a... Yeah, get it
2: right away if you're going to get the sport wagon because production ends end of With, this year. Yeah. Which is
0: a crying shame.
2: Yeah. But so, hey, nostalgia. Did yeah, this nostalgia. question make
1: you think of our adventure? We didn't tell you Oh this. yeah, oh, Jen oh, and I just
2: had, Monday, Jen and I had an adventure.
0: We
1: had an adventure and we climbed... You didn't invite me is what no, you're you are trying to say. No, you weren't here. You weren't here, but oh. Mike and I climbed hmm. Mount Washington. Oh, well, I'm in glad New you didn't Hampshire, invite me. 6,000
0: feet. Yeah, not not driving, we actually we hiked. We yeah.
1: so it was very exciting. And I totally... You know, you think of people feeling the altitude. I did not. Maybe we're in just such great shape, Mike. But uh, no, it was very fun, but very hard.
2: You yeah, can get yeah. the bumper sticker. Bumper sticker not for your
1: Sir, car. I got Mike a
0: shirt. I got a, shirt. Yeah. I yes. got a sh- it, say, it says, this body climbed Mount Washington. <laughs> now normally the bumper stickers say, uh, this car climbed Mount Washington. But
1: <laughs> after that, another colleague drove up. And they were saying, they had posted on Facebook, "Like, I'm very stressful. It was very stressful on their car, both going yeah. up it's and steep. coming down, you're yeah. just on the brakes. That's so it was steep. very cool. It was a cool okay.
0: adventure. Uh, one more question. Let's, do, let's uh, look at Guillermo's question. Guillermo says, I just moved and now my daily commute is 35 to 40 minutes long on some traffic free winding roads. I'm looking for a fun, responsive car that's safe, reliable, has at least four seats, and has good fuel economy. No SUVs, he hey. says. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend? All right, who wants to go first? Who's got a good pick for I the good pick. Okay.
1: I have a good pick. Okay. Well, I think it's a good pick. So I picked the Mazda 6.
0: Okay. So mm.
1: I said, and the turbo, because we, we tested the non turbo, yep. but we had experienced and said, slightly better car, a little quicker, a little, but mm. we said it was agile, less than 40K, um, great reliability, very good owner satisfaction. We said it was a little tight. Interior, yep. but it sounds like most of it's commute for Guillermo. But he needs the seats when he needs the seats. And then I had a used A4 as an alternative. Audi but A4. I thought yep. Ooh. the 2020 Mazda 6 was kind yeah. of yeah. It's a it's like, an
0: it's a fun car to drive. It's yeah, a fun absolutely. car to drive. Yeah, I'm just gonna
2: I'm gonna cede the floor to to Jen because your picks were they're so good. You just you, you I just swept
1: shut it, down.
0: it. Yeah, you swept it. When yeah. I, so you want to hear my pick?
1: Yeah. No, no. Gems there.
2: are so good. Yeah, we really
0: yeah don't. Yeah. So I think Guillermo <laughs> should go anyway. with uh, either a Subaru BRZ or a Toyota yeah. 86. Now, I will keep in mind. Four seats. Now, yeah, yeah. OK. So they're really more <laughs> two plus twos. You know, the the, the rear seats are um, not huge. I can fit back there. I'm not very tall, obviously. But it does have, it does check almost all the boxes. Yeah. It's super fun to drive. It yeah. has amazing handling. We actually have two. Toyota uh, 86s mm-hmm. for tires, yep.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, for tire testing, and I took one out on our track recently, and I I've re-remembered how <laughs> balanced, how fun. The those cars have such amazing handling. They're so forgiving, so yeah. predictable. Uh, so you would love driving this car on a winding road. Yep. Um, 30 mpg overall in our testing, um, above average predicted reliability for both cars. The only spot they really falter is that you can't get forward collision warning or automatic emergency braking with those cars, which is is a shame. So, But um, I think if you buy those cars, you will have an absolute hoot driving them.
1: So Guillermo, if you like your friends and passengers,
0: get the Mazda 6. (laughs) If you don't, get a VRZ 286. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. (laughs) Uh, If you want to learn more about the cars and topics we talked about, you can click on the links in the show notes. Don't forget Mm -hmm. to send those questions, comments, 30-second video clips to TalkingCars at iCloud.com. As always, thanks for watching, and we'll see you all next week.